welcome to episode 95 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Michael Lasher. Katie Beeson. Sean Alling. Samantha Hill. Emily Sargent. Rachel Bruce. Sydney. Estelle Miller. Debbie Dempsey. Tom. Neve Defoli. Victoria Nichols. Jordan Johnson. Danny Hobson. Christy Calcagno. Michaela. Souza. Xavier V. Quinn. Becca Smith. Margaret Piper. Georgie Kempthorne. Catherine Duncan. Amy Chapman. Sean Gunson. Frankie Jenkins. And Chris Collins. That wasn't bad today. It wasn't too bad. Wait until I get all these messages saying, (laughs) you pronounced my name wrong. (laughs) We've got a promo this week and our promo is Guide to the Unknown. Siblings Kristen and Will host a podcast about horror, paranormal pop culture, ghost stories and myths. But keeping it light and I've listened to this podcast and I actually found it very entertaining so for example you know the episode of Ghost Adventures where they go to Sloss Furnace yep and there was a guy the the big bad guy the big bad demon in Sloss Furnace so Kristen and Will did loads of research into that story and I'm not going to spoil it but the results were very interesting Ooh. so they do a huge amount of research into the origins of the paranormal lore that surrounds these paranormal places that are really prevalent in pop culture. So I'm going to play their promo now. Hello, I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And we're the co-hosts of the podcast Guide to the Unknown, where we talk about spooky things and the paranormal with a particular emphasis on pop culture. Our favorite episodes include doing a roundup of all the Disney haunted mansions and all the parks they've got around the world. The time that we went to a seance in a paranormal bookstore and also covering the real life story behind the movie The Conjuring. That's right. Our new episodes come out every Friday on all major podcast apps, including Spotify. And the episodes are actually recorded live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube.com slash TalkBomb. So you can watch us record what's going to be coming out, which is pretty neat. If you miss it, the video version of the show is released every Friday alongside the podcast. So, hey, go to GTTUPod.com for links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else, and make sure you follow at GTTUPod everywhere on social media. We'll see you there. So if you enjoy that promo, make sure to go and listen to Guide to the Unknown. And our film review this week. Our film review is Summer of 84. Summer of 84 was released in 2018 It has 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb and 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? I would like one. Thank you. Teenager Davy Armstrong is a conspiracy theorist who begins to suspect that a neighbouring police officer is a serial killer. With help from three friends, Davy launches a daring investigation that soon turns dangerous. So before we begin, I'm just going to try and keep this film review to less than the ramblings of last week because when we reviewed splice we we did go on yeah but i felt like that movie warranted it possibly because it was chaotic so our review had to be chaotic to reflect that yeah so what were your thoughts on this film i liked it i thought it had a sort of stephen king buddy movie in that stephen king way that he writes movies about kids being buddies that kind of buddy movie aspect to it it had obviously was heavily influenced by the aesthetics of Stranger Things. And I just thought it was a good thriller movie. I found it quite boring. I know you did. And I know that everybody seems to love this film, but I did. I just found it quite boring. And I think potentially as a 30-year-old 30, 30 woman watching a film about a coming-of-age story about four boys just continually talking about masturbating and hot girls and putting things in the spank bank for later and spying on their neighbour getting undressed with binoculars. It's just, I mean, I just couldn't relate, you know? As, and I and I understand the point of it. Like, it's a, it's a grown-up story and it's teenagers in suburbia really bored at, like, 15, 16, whatever age they are. Like, I do understand there is a relevance to it, but I just find, I found it quite boring. I just think that there's, you know, there was there was more to it than just, masturbating they did their little manhunt things didn't they and the, the guy was the main character was clearly massively into 
conspiracy theories and stuff. Yeah, and, and I I will take that back. The whole film wasn't just them discussing masturbation and then there happened to be a subplot of a potential serial killer. It's just when it... I just can't relate to stories about teenage boys, I don't think. I think that's probably why, why I found it boring. Okay, fair enough. I, I thought it was done well. I thought it was clever. It was aesthetically very good to look at. I like the fact that there was a, a... It sort of kept you guessing for the longest time whether what they were thinking was going on was actually going on, although you kind of knew it had to be. But it was good. I thought it was well done. I liked it. It didn't blow me away, but it was good. I liked the opening scene where the young boy narrator says all the weird stuff happens in suburbia or suburbia is darker than everyone thinks it is or whatever it was and it set it up very nicely because there is that whole trope about suburbia being fucking weird and weird things happening that are maybe just accepted or not widely discussed i thought the last half an hour maybe or maybe more was really good genuinely like thought i was really entertained by the last maybe half an hour, three quarters of an hour, but the run up to it, I just found it quite slow. So I don't know. Maybe just, I'm just not, I don't think I was the demographic. I don't think I was the target audience for it. I clearly was. Because <laughs> you are, <laughs> apparently. Boy, so. <laughs> a, a man with a teenage boy mentality. And it is funny, like, you know, it's a funny film. Yeah. There are, there are elements of it that are hilarious. And it has, ve- it was very reminiscent of Stand By Me, for me. Yeah. It was that kind of, it's that, that's what I meant by that Stephen yeah. King buddy dynamic. It had that, that going on. It's a lovely film to look at as well. It looks very nice and it's very of the era. So it recreates that era quite well in the same way Stranger Things does. Yeah, I, I, I am I am pleased I saw it. There's some films that we watch for this podcast where I get for it and I'm just like, okay, we had to watch it for the podcast. But now I'm annoyed. <laughs> but now I'd rather not have watched it last week as a prime example. This one. I'm pleased I watched it. And potentially, if I was to flick through channels and it was to come on, which is not going to, but if it was, I'd probably watch it to the end again. Fair enough. So what would you give it out of five? Three and a half. Okay. I get what you... It, it was, it's a very slow build. Yeah. And I, th- I think, like you said, if you're not invested in that teenage buddy element of it, you'll find it hard to get on with. And some people will be annoyed about how the story develops. I but, Yeah, I can imagine they would. I was going to give it a three, actually, because okay. I thought the, the four boys the four little pals i thought their acting was phenomenal yeah, really good it and was i really thought good. the antagonist was also phenomenal because there was a lot of being lured into his world too which i thought was really interesting and i thought the last three quarters of an hour was very tense and well done hmm. but i just it was too much of a slow build for me hmm. so that was three stars for me three and a half from you for summer of 84 people have been asking us to repeat what we gave it and what the yeah. film was at the end of the reviews and I'm trying to remember to do that but I'm very chaotic so I, I definitely recommend a watch which brings us to our story this week yeah I've been waiting for this because I really feel like I got ripped off last week do you yeah because you flipping made it a two-parter I've had to wait all week to find the conclusion of this story after I'd made an amazing scientific discuss- discovery yeah, I was very surprised that you made that connection. I'm, I'm kind of annoyed because <laughs> you ruined you ruined the suspense, really. <laughs> so last week we talked about the Gurning Man of Glasgow. And the Gurning Man of Glasgow, just to briefly recap in case anyone forgets, is this bald, gangly, very pale man who has appeared, who appeared in the 70s in various parts of Glasgow, both inside people's houses and outside people's houses. Moving in a very strange way, but with a massive grin frozen on his face. And it's a very scary story to listen to. But an interesting story nonetheless. Now, I have my questions as to whether The Garden Man is a real story or whether it's a creepypasta that has kind of found its way into folklore. But last week I mentioned somebody. Do you remember who I mentioned? Ira Mothman. I mean, that's what, that wasn't his name, but it's I, something to do with I, Mothman. Ira Mothman was not his name, <laughs> but he was something to do with Mothman. His name was Indrid Cold. <laughs> Close. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. <laughs> but Indrid Cold is kind of a staple in the paranormal community. I mean, for real paranormal people, probably. For me, I was like, I thought he was just in the film. He's not just in the film. So today... We are going to be talking about Indrid Cold and the Grinning Man. Are you ready? Never ready. What if the Grinning Man is real? 
And what if we just haven't fully connected the dots? The Gurning Man appeared in Glasgow between 1976 and 1979. But elsewhere in the world, similar strange men had been appearing. On the 2nd of November 1966, Woody Derenberger was driving home from Mariette, Ohio to Mineral Wells, West Virginia. It was around 6pm and it was overcast and drizzling. Derenberger cruised through the intersection of I-77 and Route 47 and glanced in his rearview mirror to see that a tractor was tailgating him with its headlights off. He squinted and cursed the driver. There was no need to be driving this closely to his bumper and especially with headlights off in overcast conditions. After being tailgated for a while, Derenberger decided to swerve to the other side of the road to allow for the impatient asshole to pass. He swerved to the left-hand side of the road and glanced in his rearview mirror to see if the driver would pass him by. But it soon became apparent that what Derenberger thought was a tractor was as far from a tractor as he could possibly imagine. He watched as the tractor swerved behind him and rose above his truck. The machine then cut in front of him and stopped, hovering above the road in front of him and forcing him to slam on his brakes. From the cylindrical-shaped craft, a hatch opened, and out stepped a man. The man was dressed in a tight black suit, and looked like any other man that you would see in the street. Except for one thing. He had a huge grin frozen across his face, and Derenberger was petrified. The man strolled towards the truck, still with the abnormally large smile on his face, and Derenberger heard a voice say, Do not be afraid. I mean you no harm. I only want to ask you a few questions. Derenberger's fear intensified. He heard the voice as clear as day, but the man's absurd grin never moved. Derenberger sat frozen, with his hands on the steering wheel, painfully aware that the man was making his way to the driver's side of the truck, but far too afraid to turn to look at him. Eventually, He heard a voice asking him to roll down the window and the man told him that he could talk out loud or think but either way the man would understand him. The man asked him a series of seemingly mundane questions and eventually asked Derenberger about his job. Derenberger plucked up the courage to ask the strange man a question and asked him if he had a job. The strange man with the frozen smile cocked his head and the voice said, Yes, I have a job. I am a searcher. The strange man seemed to become aware that Derenberger was becoming increasingly frightened and asked him, Why are you so frightened? Do not be afraid. We mean you no harm. You will see that we eat and bleed the same as you do. We only wish you happiness. We only wish you happiness. We only wish you happiness. He went on to repeat, we only wish you happiness, several more times. Eventually, the man told Derenberger that the proper authorities would be contacted in time and bid him farewell. He finally said, We will see you again, Mr. Derenberger, and strolled back to his craft, which took off into the evening sky. Derenberger returned home at 7pm. When he walked through the door, his wife looked up to greet him, and was so shocked by his pale face and look of terror that she immediately sat him down and asked him what happened. They actually called the police to report the strange incident and were later interviewed on WTAP-TV about the incident. During the interview, Derenberger was asked if the strange man had given a name. 
Yes, he said. His name was Indrid Cold. After the interview was over and the cameras were turned off, Derenberger continued to be questioned by police, reporters and officials from the Wright-Patterson Air Base. Eventually, after Derenberger had recounted the tale again and again, the officials finally asked him whether he thought Cold meant what he said. Did Derenberger believe that he would see Cold again? And Derenberger whispered, Yes. And that's what I'm so afraid of. After the initial interest in Derenberger's tale, his story became more outlandish, with tales of the men in black, abductions, Indrid Cole's home planet, and ultimately, Derenberger claimed to have been impregnated by the alien race. Derenberger's family maintained that the original event happened, or at least something happened to him, but the subsequent claims were all designed to try and help Derenberger sell his book when he realised that people were interested in the initial tale. While this story becomes pretty chaotic, there are some important points to note. Firstly, the Mothman sightings began in Point Pleasant 12 days later, and John Keel, who wrote extensively on the Mothman prophecies, was convinced that Indrant Cold and Mothman were linked. Keel didn't believe the extremities of Derenberger's stories, but he did believe in Indrid Cold. And this most certainly wasn't the last time or place that Cold would make a shocking appearance. So we're going to pause there. I don't like this geezer. Why don't you like him? Not Derenberger. Don't mind about him. You sell your book, mate. Indrid Cold. Reminds me of that Smiling Man YouTube video. Yes. Which is so terrifying. What's really interesting about that YouTube video, because I was thinking about that when I was writing this, is that nothing happens. No. He just runs after him, but it's so, it's so petrifying. Yeah. The first time I saw that, I was traumatized. If you don't know the video that we're talking about, it's called Smiling Man 3AM, I think, on YouTube. Mm. And it's petrifying. It's terrible. It's one of the worst shorts. I think it's one of the most terrifying shorts. That and the original lights out. Yeah. Anyway, that's what it reminds me of. It's that fixed smile. And we only wish you happiness, which you've done in a creepy voice again. Sorry. Um, just repeated. And it's like, it's, it's got me thinking like Demon Headmaster kind of weirdness. You know, it's like that. It's almost like a cultish, you will be happy kind of thing. Look how happy I am. And then he communicates with telepath, telepathy. And then he's in a flying thing, which was a tra- described as a tractor at one point, was it? Well, he thought it was a tractor behind him, which I understand yeah. because you're not gonna you're not gonna look in your rearview mirror and go, "Oh, that's definitely a spaceship." He thought it was a tractor, and then he described it as being the shape of like an old silo. Maybe there was a really specific like cultural contextual reference point that he used, so it was kind of a cylindrical shaped object, basically. Mm. It's very intriguing, and I kind of had to cut Derenberger's story short because it does get completely outlandish and he claims to have been visited multiple times by Indrid Cold and multiple times by two other entities that were almost identical to Indrid Cold and had but had different names and then he was taken off to Cold's home planet and it just and and eventually impregnated by the alien race and I mean if people are starting to struggle to believe your story because people believed him at first Mm. and then it kind of got a bit silly and he became a bit of a laughing stock and his marriage fell apart, which is very sad. Mm. But telling people that aliens impregnate no. you is not going to help your no, cause. It's really not. It's really not. It's not going to make people believe you anymore. No. And I Rain feel it like, in. Rain the details in. I feel, yeah, I feel like if that was true, that might be stuff that he doesn't share because he wants people to believe him if it's true, right? Yeah. And I just don't think that that's, that's what he shares. But that initial report is interesting. It's interesting that the airbase officials were there. Allegedly. Allegedly. So who knows if they were or if they weren't. But allegedly, the airbase officials did arrive. So it's interesting, right? Yeah. And I think the reason why John Keel was so interested in this story is because he was a real big believer in synchronicities. Wide Atlantic Weird, who we did a promo for last week, did an episode this week on 
the Mothman prophecies, but it was about John Keel and his obsession with synchronicities. And he believed that everything is linked. So he this is why he tapped into the Indrid Cold story, because he thought, hang on a second, this happened 12 days before Point Pleasant, really close to Point Pleasant, and we're not linking the two things together. Whether or not they should be linked is another story, because actually... I believe that humans love to look for patterns in chaos or patterns in things they don't understand. But there are other stories that are very similar to Indrid Cold, but probably more disturbing. Mm. So what do you think Indrid Cold is? I still think he's... I don't know now, actually, because it's not really, it doesn't really sound like Mothman, does he? Because Mothman just kind of hangs in the air, swoops about a bit. Well, he did a bit of running. He did a bit of shuffling. Yeah, didn't do much um, talking or telepathic. No, he didn't. Conversations. Uh, did some did some glaring with his red eyes. And uh, only really known for his firm buttocks rather than his big smile. Very true. Yeah, yeah the smile is distinctly lacking actually yeah. in the descriptions. Buttocks, one hundred percent. Yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I don't know whether they are linked. I feel like Mister Kills clutching at straws. Yeah, how do you spell cold? C-O-L-D. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. So it's not even got 12 letters in it, so he can't even make that loose connection, can he? <laughs> no. <laughs> so do you want to hear some stories about other people's experiences with the grinning man? I do, yeah, I do, because it might help us get to the bottom of who this guy is. Okay, because your world is about to be blown apart. Oh, no. Story number one comes from a writer called Nick Redfern on Mysterious Universe. The link will be in the description. And it is the story of the Maxwell family. Are you ready? Nope. In 1987, the Maxwell family spent a week vacationing in and around San Francisco, staying with friends in Menlo Park. On their way back home, they travelled along California's famous Highway 101, which provides a panoramic view of the Pacific Ocean. And for mile upon mile, they chose to drive through the night, when the highway would be at its least busy thinking that it would be to their benefit to do so. How completely and utterly wrong they were. After a couple of hours of driving, the family of four spotted a strange light in the sky. It was described as a bright green ball of light about the size of a beach ball, one which paced their car and stayed with them for a couple of miles, at the height of around 60 feet. There was nothing frightening about the encounter, Rather, they were all amazed and excited. It wasn't long, however, before things got very disturbing. The day after the Maxwell family got home was a Sunday, meaning they had an extra day before returning to work and school. It was while one of the teenage children was sat on the porch and playing music that she caught sight of a man on the other side of the road. He was dressed completely in black, aside from a white shirt. He even wore black gloves on what was a bright summer day. The girl was particularly disturbed by the fact that the man sported a wide grin that was frozen and he was staring right at her. So unsettled was she that she went back into the home and told her father of what had just happened. He quickly went out to the door, but no surprises, the smiling man was gone. When Mr. Maxwell told the story to me decades after the incident occurred, the anxiety in his voice was clear. Such is the effect that the grinning man has on those who are unfortunate enough to cross paths with him. Or, more correctly, maybe we should refer to him as it. Maybe it is a far better description. That sounds very similar to Jurassic Becker, Jurassic, Der, the first guy. What was his name? Darren Berger. Darren Berger. There we go. Um, it sounds very similar to him, doesn't it? It's that kind of floating thing. And then a, a mysterious guy in black with this big old smile that doesn't move appears. Yeah. No communication this time, though. No, no communication. And interestingly, the outfit has changed. So John Keel wrote about loads of stories where people had encountered an injured cold type man in like a black leotard, big wide grin, bald head. No, injured cold didn't have a bald head, so I'm making that bit up. But really pale skin, quite uncanny valley, 
But I didn't want to just use stories from John Keel because he's, he's got his own personal biases, of course, like any of us would. Mm. And it's not fair to just use stories from him. But I would recommend that go and look them up. They're widely available and very interesting to read. But now we've got a grinning man in a suit, which mm. is interesting. So before you make any connections, I want to read you another story. Okay, shoot. And this second story also comes from Nick Redfern. And it was told to him by an anonymous girl. And the link is in the description for this episode. I haven't told a lot of people about this story. When I first saw the person, I was about two years old. It was like the typical thing that you hear. It was this man who would stand in the doorway of my bedroom. I remember standing up in my crib and holding on to the bars. And he wore a fedora and a tan raincoat and black trousers, shiny shoes and black leather gloves. He just stood there and would grin. There was nothing friendly about the way he was grinning. It was horrible. Emotionless. He didn't even blink. And he would appear off and on for a few years. Even as I got older and slept in my own bed, I would wake up sometimes, like at three o'clock in the morning. That still happens. All of a sudden, I'll be wide awake at three o'clock in the morning for no apparent reason. But as a kid, I'd wake up at three o'clock and he would be there. I didn't have any frame of reference for it. Of course, my mom didn't believe me. She just thought I was dreaming. But there were all sorts of strange paranormal things that happened throughout my childhood. And I wonder if it was all part of the same thing. I even got weird phone calls as a teenager. The phone would ring and it would sound like a little kid speaking in another language, just rapidly talking into the phone. I thought at the time it must have been some little kid that had gotten onto a payphone and started dialing random numbers. But when I read the Mothman prophecies, I realised it was the same thing. What kind of validated that this person was real was that when I was 12, a friend and I were out riding our bikes at about 9.30 at night in the summer. It was a small town in West Texas. And we stopped and were looking in the doors of the Baptist church as they had just gotten their new carpets put in. But we both turned at the same time to look behind us. And this man appeared right on the edge of a streetlight and started walking towards us. And he was wearing the exact same outfit. The fedora, the tan overcoat and black pants. But this time, his whole head and hands were bandaged. We didn't speak, we just took off like a shot, around the corner to her house. We didn't know what to make of it. But I thought it was probably the same person that I used to see. I've never seen him again. When I got into my early 20s, I was living in Dallas and I met a girl. We got to talking about paranormal stuff. And she lived in Lufkin in East Texas. She said that she and her sister shared a room. And that sometimes she would wake up and there would be this man in her room. She said he wore a hat and a long coat. And he would just stand there with a huge grin frozen on his face. And his eyes unblinking staring at her. One night she woke up and he was staring at her but he was stood next to her little sister, petting her sister's head while she slept, all the while just staring and grinning. And then a few years later, another friend of mine who had grown up in New York, she had seen a similar man that would stand in her room. I thought, okay, that's great. At least I'm not nuts. I had lights that would turn off and on. My stuff got moved around all of the time. I still have my things getting moved around. I had a poster of Marilyn Monroe jump off my wall. It was like six o'clock, I think I was 16. And it just flew off the wall and into the middle of the floor. I grew up in a really religious family, Southern Baptist. So that was all something of the devil, 
although I don't believe that now. There was another visible entity that used to show up. It was black and sort of shapeless, but had these enormous eyes. Kind of like the quintessential way that we depict aliens. The great big eyes, but they were silvery with no pupil. They had a reflective quality. Again, it would be three o'clock in the morning and I would feel my bed jolt. And I would look down and see those eyes right over the edge of my bed. And the black shapelessness around it. I turned on the light once, I got my courage up. I thought, if I don't move, it's going to kill me, and if I do move, it's going to kill me. Again, I was 16 or 17. I screamed for my mom and I just told her that I had a nightmare. But then I saw it again. One morning I was getting ready to go to school, and I turned towards the shower curtain, and I could see those eyes looking between the hooks on the shower curtain. The final time this thing ever appeared, I didn't see it. I had a friend sleeping over, a senior in high school. She had never been to my house, and I had never told her about any of this kind of stuff. She was very religious. She didn't really believe in any of this, or would have said it was the devil. We're up the next morning, and she was helping me make my bed, and I said, It was a lot of fun. You should come back over. And she looked at me and she said, I'm really sorry, but I'm never going to come back here again. I thought I'd done something. But she said, you didn't do anything. How do you not remember? I really didn't know what she was talking about. So I asked her to tell me. And she said she woke up suddenly during the night. And she thought that she couldn't see. Then when her eyes adjusted... There was a face so close to hers that she couldn't see anything else. I asked her what it looked like, and she said the same thing. These big eyes, and then just black. She said she screamed so loudly that she figured she woke the whole neighbourhood. All I did, according to her, was lift up, sit up on my elbow, and look at her and said, Are you okay? And she said she was and went back to sleep. My mom didn't hear it either. And surely enough, she never came back to my house. I did have a person who would actually call me and talk to me while I was in high school. It may have just been some nut. But he seemed to know everywhere that I went. I took dance classes in Abilene. And I had friends that lived there as well. And this person would call late at night and ask... How was your dance class? He knew my every move, which was odd. They wouldn't tell me who they were. They knew a week's worth of my activities. I might have decided to see a friend and not had those plans prior. So no one would know where I was going. But this person knew where I'd been. The last time I saw him, it was in a dream when I was 13. And it was like a lucid dream. I was in a store looking at a rack of magazines and I turned and looked to my left and there he was and he's got a magazine in his hand and he's staring right at me, grinning and in the dream I put my magazine down and I walked right past him and I told him don't ever come here again and he never did that was the last time I saw him physically or in a dream I just decided right there in my dream that I'm not having this anymore. I know that when I do think about him, it does spur activity in my house. When I look into it again, or the paranormal, it also makes the activity happen. I wonder how much of that is energy that I'm putting out. That is intriguing. I think there's more than one entity going on there, though. Yes, sounds like there's more than one entity. So there's like the grinning man and then there's the big eyed eyeball. Just the big the big eyeballs. With the black face, really dark, like... Yeah, I, I, that, is, that sounds like two separate things. Yeah, I think it is as well. But interesting that she... Because, you know, when you read these things and you think, okay, these predominantly happen at night time, probably sleep paralysis. And then this person's friend sees the same thing yeah. in the middle of the... like. In the middle of the evening, mm. as it were. Yeah, that's weird. I also think the third thing was actually just a stalker. 
Yes, most likely. Mm. I mean, I would be more alarmed by the yeah. stalker, to be yeah. to be very frank. Grinning man, by all means, because there's no there's no reports of him doing anything. Stalker generally yeah. doesn't end well. No, it doesn't. So absolutely doesn't. I'd be worried about that one. I think that was just a creep. I don't actually think that was paranormal at all. Interesting how the grinning man uh, changes his fashion but keeps certain items. So he's obviously quite fond of the black gloves since he's found them. Yeah. Now donning a tan raincoat. I'm into a, fedora. A, a good pair of black leather gloves, though. They bring a certain a certain something to an outfit. Do you not think? Yeah, an element of Gestapo. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't have gone down that road personally, but I, I would say an element of, like, fanciness, yeah. you know? No, I shouldn't say that, actually, because my grandma wears leather driving gloves that are black. And I don't think your grandma's in the Gestapo. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not. But that that intrigues me because there's an element of this, of similarity about all these stories, but it's a changing element as well. So leotard, black suit, raincoat, and fedora, but still got the black gloves. Still wearing black, always smiling, just smiling all the time. Kind of imagining Undertaker vibes if Undertaker wore a tan. Wait, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think Undertaker would have the same Undertaker vibes if he had the tan Rain Mac on instead of Do his you black think? one. <laughs> probably. That's probably a very good point. But I've got one more story for you. All right, okay. And I'm this, very confused at the moment. And this last story comes from Michael Ray on Reddit. And okay. I'll leave the link in the description. Are you ready? Back when I was in college, I had the most terrifying experience I've ever had. I mostly suppressed the memory until something reminded me of it. And now I can't stop thinking about it. Late at night, I would typically walk down a bike path to get to train tracks with my friend. We would sit at the tracks, watch the moon rise over a lake and walk back. The last time I ever went to these tracks, something terrifying happened to me. To set the scene, the bike path was surrounded by old industrial buildings, mostly with no windows facing the path. There were very few streetlights to illuminate the path. Our arms were linked and I was standing on the right. Walking from the other direction was a man. Neither of us looked at him while he was walking towards us. As he was walking past my friend to the left of me, I decided to glance at him, just for no particular reason. And this is when I saw what I saw. I looked up at him and we instantly locked eyes. He followed my eyes the entire time as he passed us and I just couldn't look away. I felt almost as if I was in some sort of trance. I felt like all of the air had been sucked out of my lungs and my entire body tensed up. It wasn't until he passed us and looked away that I gasped for air and explained, Oh my God, what the fuck? My friend said, what happened? Are you okay? I felt your whole body lock up. And I said, did, did you look at him? She said she hadn't. It was at this point that we turned around to look again. But before I finish the story, I need to explain what he looked like. As soon as we made eye contact, I noticed how horrifying he was. He had on a primary coloured suit with a blue jacket, yellow shirt and a red tie. His eyes were wide open, almost bulging, like glass eyes. His skin was white and waxy, almost like it was wet, sort of like porcelain. He had this disgusting grin frozen on his face that I will never be able to forget. His mouth was smiling so wide that you could see all of his teeth. The only thing I can compare it to is a ventriloquist doll. And as he stared at me smiling, I felt like I had no control and all the breath in my lungs and joy that I had felt had been ripped out of me. As we looked back, he was still walking down the pathway from us. Except he was laughing and jumping. And the way he jumped was so unnatural, almost as if he was a puppet on strings. I couldn't really bring myself to explain to my friend what I had just seen. Mind you, at this time we were both around 21 years old. I was pretty athletic and felt confident in my ability to protect myself and her. 
But I was so afraid that I couldn't bring myself to do anything else. But I asked her, can we please run home? So we both ran the entire way back. When we got back home, I was almost in a state of shock. I shakily explained to her what I saw and she said, I'm sorry I didn't see him. And I replied, you have no idea how thankful I am that you didn't see him. To this day, I still wonder what would have happened if we both looked. I feel like if we didn't have our arms locked with her pulling me along, I would have had no control to keep walking away. I had nightmares about him for weeks and couldn't bring myself to focus on anything else during my classes. Eventually, I blocked him out of my memory until one night I was reminded of him. I'm posting this here because I've searched the internet and haven't found any information about what he could have been or what I might have seen. I just felt like I'd stared into the face of evil, someone who had done horrible things. I've looked up ventriloquism even, and I've found some information about its potentially demonic roots, but I haven't seen anything that relates to my testimony. The lack of knowledge that I have about him keeps me up at night. I'm hoping that with knowledge, I can maybe get some closure. I mean, he has upped his fashion game in this story, has he not? Right? He's I'm almost the It's look. kind of like Joaquin Phoenix, Joker-esque, slightly off colours, but similar kind of style. I'm feeling it. I'm like, grinning man, babe. You wear those primary colours and you wear them proudly. Do your jumping and your dancing. I feel like he is a thing. I wonder if, like John Keel talked about, you know, synchronicities and are people just trying to connect dots that aren't there. So, for example, I didn't realise this until I listened to that episode of Wild Atlantic Weird, but at the beginning of the Mothman prophecies, John Keel talks about a family who had this really terrifying experience with this strange man in a suit who appeared in their garden. And it was John Keel. Like, he was the man in the suit. (laughs) And they were really frightened. And he, he kind of said, if you've not experienced something and you have no context for it or no reference for it, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for you to to pin that to something supernatural or paranormal. It's funny that he starts his book by that and then goes mm. through the entire book by doing that. It's interesting, mm. isn't it? And it, it also it doesn't seem to have any. Um, I mean, from the way probably from the way he told it, but it doesn't seem to have any uh, remorse for the fact that he scared a family by standing in a garden in a suit. No, I'd 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 go out and fight him. <laughs> He'd be like, no, no, I'm just doing some research. I've no got way. a little bit of a crazy theory about this. I didn't even do any theories for this week because I thought there's so many elements here. There's bloody hat man elements. There's alien elements. There's men in black elements. There's some people that link the grinning man, men in black, hat men and black eyed children. So you know what? We're covering the whole smorgasbord of paranormal today. So you go with your theory. Babe. I can see why people make links between them because I thought, oh, there's a little bit of semblance to this or there's a little bit of semblance to that for all the stories. But the thing that I'm going with is that it's not one grinning man and I'm including the Scottish grinning man in this as well even though he was gurning and there's a difference between grinning and gurning but I think there's a number of them and the fact that he said to that guy whose name I'm going to forget again Darren Berger Darren Berger yeah close enough um, that he was a searcher makes me think that are these the scouts of an alien race who notice that when we are trying to reassure each other, we smile and have therefore presented themselves in the way that they think is reassuring to us, but have kind of missed the mark. And so it's almost like their uniform to interact with earthlings is this disarming smile, which they think they're actually, they think that's how we put each other at ease and they've just misinterpreted it. And actually these are scouts for aliens and they're trying to gather information about us and what we do and the way that we interact with each other. That's actually quite interesting because there's, you know, people are deathly afraid of clowns, for example. Mm. The the phobia of clowns, like psychologists believe that it's linked to the like uncanny valley. So because clowns have that frozen mm. big smile on their face or that frozen big frown, our human brains immediately don't trust it because it's it's too exaggerated and it doesn't move in a fluid motion like yeah. facial expressions generally do when people are talking so people who have a phobia of clowns that's apparently where psychologists believe it comes from and don't misinterpret this as me saying aliens are primitive but imagine if they if you have a primitive understanding of 
of emotions and how humans interact with each other and you'd been observing from a distance for a while the interactions that you see that are positive would often involve smiling right yeah so if your primitive understanding has made that link and you want to make something that you think will make you more acceptable more approachable then the chances are that you are going to do the biggest smile that you can think because you think well all these positive interactions have interacted with smiling so obviously if we look like we're smiling everybody's going to like us and trust us so do you think then that the Gurnan man is just really bad at uh, at smiling <laughs> uh yes i'm gonna go with that because i can't i'm just i'm just linking lumping him in with all the other smiling men because he, he sounds very he, he's he's similar he's similar to these smiling men experiences except they've specifically described him as gurning which is not the same if you don't know what gurning is google gurning yeah and gurning is that is the word that was used and yeah. they said that he was like snorting like an animal while he was doing it so he wasn't this kind of frozen creature like the others are that are that are smiling from ear mm. to ear in a really uncanny way do you want to know my thoughts on this that it's just people doing confirmation bias with each other yeah i knew you were gonna go through that it's obvious I don't, I just don't think it's, not that I don't think it's real. I think these people are having experiences, but I think they're most likely sleep paralysis experiences. Something happened to Woody Derenberger. On the train track. Something happened to Woody Derenberger, right? I will fully, fully agree with that. I don't know what it is, but I think he saw an opportunity, which is very clear, and tried to make money out of it and probably went, went, went a bit far with the impregnation, I would say. (laughs) The train tracks thing is it likely that this person was somebody who was mentally very unwell? Yeah, possibly. You know, and happened to look a way that isn't what we would consider aesthetically pleasing. And sometimes when you see people like that in the real world, you I go, resent oh that my statement. God, why? Well, because I feel like his clothing choice was actually very aesthetically pleasing. I liked the way that his clothes were described. Blue suit, yellow shirt, red tie. It's cool. You do tend to wear very loud colours. So maybe maybe you are the grinning man that people see. Exactly. Very loud colours and a lot of teeth. Yeah. We've solved it. You're, I can see why you've come to your theory, but obviously you're wrong and I'm right. Okay, that's fine. Well, I'll, I'll let you have this one. So let us know, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, as you're listening, do you think that this is all people trying to find patterns in chaos? Or do you think that Mothman, the Gurning Man, the Grinning Man and Indrid Cold and black-eyed kids are all linked. I don't think Mothman has anything to do with this, by the way. I wonder if John Keel was just trying to find a legitimacy for Mothman, so was finding as many yeah. stories as possible. And it happened around use. the set, like the, it was. It wasn't that far away, so like it, it's worth looking at. But you're gonna have to come up with something more than it was just within the same time frame, John. So this is an insert from us in the future, because Dan has just discovered something very interesting. The last Gurning Man sighting was when 1979. What happened in 1979? Well, I just thought it's interesting with the Gurning Man how he doesn't really fit in with this with the other smiling people because he's Gurning, right? And we said initially at the end of the first episode about maybe him being a Mothman prophesizing. So I did a little Google exploration, which took about two seconds, and I put in Glasgow Disaster 1979. And lo and behold, on the 22nd of October 1979, on the train line between Glasgow and Aberdeen, there was a massive rail accident and five people died and many, many people got injured. So I feel like that kind of fits in with the, the narrative. I mean, I'm clutching at straws, but interesting. But I wonder if we had, say if these Mothman, or not Mothman, what's his name? Gurning Man or yeah. Grinning Man. If those sightings are pinpointed to different areas, I wonder would there be a disaster linked to them? I mean, there's a wormhole there, isn't there? Do you know what? My tinfoil suit is coming out. <laughs> this is fucking me up. This is where we see you in that Charlie Day scene yeah. when you just got... <laughs> every natural disaster yeah. and every odd, poor, odd-looking man that I can find being linked. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting because I, I thought that was the way you were going to go and then you went with uh, something completely different which was just as good. So I just, like, off the, on the off chance, thought I'd Google and something came up with that year which I just thought was bizarre. So if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find lots of information about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. 
you can find the links to our social media, the email address where you can send your stories, but also the link to our Patreon where for $5 a month, you get access to an extra weekly episode. And for $2 a month, you get access to 50p movie club which is a little side podcast which i used to do with will and i now do with dave where we get a 50p movie from that section in cex and we watch it and sometimes good sometimes bad and we talk about it you can also cancel your patreon subscription at any time so there's no yearly subscription or six monthly if you decide to join patreon and you think i hate this that's absolutely fine you can delete it immediately and on that note we shall see you next week bye